Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. He went, out, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. May God bless the reading of his word. Y'all can have a seat. If you are a kid, you can follow the very happy people out the back, and they will take you to Kid City. Have a great time. Uh, Glad that the rest of you are presently with us. Uh, My name is Andrew Johnson. I am one of the pastors here at Neartown. And yesterday, a few of us went out to stand against human trafficking and do what we can in a small effort to stand against it. And so the five of us, we have a picture to prove it. Um, We went out. I have no idea what I was doing there. Please don't hold it against me. Uh, So we went out and we said we want to do what we can. So we actually held these flyers up and we asked uh, 13 different businesses, would you be willing to put this flyer up? Um, At the bottom, it's got these tabulated things that if somebody who is actually caught up in human trafficking can quietly take it, they're asking we put it in the bathrooms where people are at restaurants and bars in the area. And uh, it went really well. Uh, It was a blast to do. Uh, Thank you very much to uh, Sean and Lauren. And uh, I don't see Elizabeth here, but she helped out too. Um, But it was a blast. If you don't like human trafficking, if you don't want to see it continued in this city and you want to do something about it, fill out your Connect card, pull off this bottom portion, just put your name, contact information, write human trafficking in the bottom. And then after you tear that out, slip it in the blue box in the back, we'll add you to our list. I will contact you and we'll see what we can do as near town to stand next to those who are made in the image of God and continue to protect them. Um, if you want to see more information, it's back on our info table. So the white tablecloth, we've got some pages you can grab on the way out. If you've heard about human trafficking, don't know much about it, grab some of those sheets. Learn, get educated, and then we're all going to continue to work together in Houston to fight it. Now, this past Wednesday, I was at the office working on my sermon, and I was out in the gallery that has really big windows, and I heard a knock at the door and uh, it was the FedEx guy. Now, I wanted to work on my sermon. I didn't want to answer the door for the FedEx guy because it's not for me. It's never for me. And I knew that he would leave a note and Eric or Elias would go and get it, but I couldn't hide in the gallery and he saw me. So I went and I opened the door, received the package, signed for it. It was for Eric. And I looked at it and it said, Harry and David's. It had signs on it. Organic materials inside. Please open immediately. Contains pears and apples. Now, by a show of hands, who knows the company Harry and David's? Okay, 
So you all know who raised your hands that what was in that box was amazing. It was a delectable wonder. And so I grabbed it. I texted Eric. I said, hey, man, we've got a package here, Harry and David's. And he said, I I don't eat apples. You can have it. And I was like, are you sure? So I took a picture of it. Bruce will put that up on the screen. This is what it looked like when I opened it because I wanted him to see this is amazing. Are you sure? I wanted to give him the opportunity to rescind his kind offer to me to have it, but he was still generous and said, I, no, you're fine. Take it. So my family and I were very happy at his generosity because it was awesome. Seriously, that summer sausage, off the chain. Uh, so here's the reality. We all have different reactions based on what we know about something. I knew what Harry and David's was. I was thrilled even before I opened it. Actually, I was thrilled for him because I was like, man, he is getting an awesome little gift package. And he didn't want it. What Eric didn't have a great knowledge or history. And again, I just recently learned, so I'm welcome to the club now. Um, but he didn't know who Harry and David's was. So he didn't have that great excitement. Our knowledge about someone or something will change how we react to it. See, the same thing goes for Jesus. Everybody has heard about Jesus. In America, I can safely say most people have heard about him. They hear he's taught good things. They hear he was a nice guy. Some people who know a little bit more either are on two ends of the scale. One, they have heard what he said and they think he's crazy that he deserved to die as he did, or the other end, they actually know him. They have been with him, and because they know him, they are growing. They are experiencing peace. They are experiencing life. Based on your knowledge of someone or something, it will change your reaction to it. Now, through this Secret Jesus series, We, Pastor Russell and myself, are going to go through the book of Mark, and we are going to say, okay, we know what has been said about Jesus. What does Jesus say about himself? Who does he actually say he is? And we're going to look through the claims and through some of the legends that have been told about him and say, who is he really? Our hope, my prayer today is threefold. One, through this series that we are going to see Jesus more clearly. We are going to see Jesus more clearly. And when we see him more clearly, two, I hope that we understand God more fully, that we know him more fully. And because we've seen Jesus and because we are getting to know God, then the reaction is that our life will be changed through peace and hope in his gospel that when we know him, our lives will be changed through the hope of his gospel. Will you all bow your heads with me? Jesus, thank you so very much that we have the opportunity to dig into your word today. Uh, Speak through me so that what comes out is exactly what this room needs to hear, that there is something that your spirit wants to convey to each and every person who is here. Lord, let us be moved by you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen. When Jesus was on earth, a whole bunch of people witnessed him being on earth, and they wrote it down. 
A few of them wrote it down specifically for people. They compiled it in books. We have the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now today, and through the Secret Jesus series, we are going to focus in on the book of Mark. So if you would like, open your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark. If you do not have a Bible, we would love to give you one. So just quietly slip up your hand. It is A-OK to not have a Bible. We want to change that. The Bible that is given to you is your gift. So raise your hand if anybody has it. We have a free Bible for you. It is page 837. That is where we are going to be. Now, last week, Pastor Russell opened our series, starting in Mark chapter 2, and he hit the story where Jesus heals the paralytic. Now, I'm going to fast forward the recap here. Paralyzed man brought in by four of his friends. They want to get their friend to Jesus because they know Jesus can heal him. He cannot be paralyzed anymore. Let's get him to Jesus. And so they go up to the top of the roof. They cut a hole in the roof and they drop him down. Well, not drop him. They lower him down to Jesus. He gets in front of Jesus and everybody's like, okay, well, this is happening. And Jesus knows in that moment, everyone in the room is expecting him to heal the guy. Now, he sees the friends. He sees the faith that the friends have, that they believe that Jesus is God and that he has the power to heal. So they put him there, and Jesus comes up to him, and instead of doing what they all expected, which is healing him like that, he throws the biggest of our all curveballs. And he says to them, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, everybody is who is a religious person in the room, who has grown up a Jew. They are all thinking and feeling in their hearts, oh, 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 that's not how this goes. You can't forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. What is going on right now? And then Jesus engages their thoughts and their hearts and says to them, this is Andrew paraphrasing, hey, just so you know, that I am God and I do have power to forgive sin, I'm going to tell this guy to be healed. Hey, paralyzed guy, you're not paralyzed anymore. Go give that bed to somebody that needs it. And he stands up and walks away. Everybody's draw drops. Jesus drops the mic. Okay, no real mics were hurt in the miracle here. And And he surprises everybody. And why is it a surprise? It is not just because he had healed a man. It was that he claimed he was God. Do not miss that through this story. He claimed divinity. And they all understood what happened here. And they were all like blown away, okay? So in light of that, that has just happened. We move to verse 13. Verse 13 We are going to be 13 through 17 today. In this passage, there are going to be essentially four characters, four characters that we're going to hit. I want to describe each of them so that when we go through this passage, we can feel it a little bit more like the audience at that time saw when Jesus did it, and then when they first read Mark, how they would have understood it. So there are four characters. Our first is our favorite. It's Jesus, okay? We'll talk about him in a moment, so let's just kind of set him aside. The second character that we have is Levi, Levi the tax collector. 
our third character. It's this group, uh, the scribes of the Pharisees. The scribes of the Pharisees. Now, the scribes worked for the Pharisees, and they kind of went out and did the bidding and the will of the Pharisees. We'll talk about that in a second. Our fourth group, our fourth group is, this group is called tax collectors and sinners. Okay, tax collectors and sinners. These are our four characters. So like I said, we're going to ignore the first character for a moment. We'll come back to Jesus. Levi. Who is Levi? Well, we talk about Levi. Levi was a Jew. And in this era, the term tax collector was quite loaded. Okay, Levi was a Jew. He, a Jew, was collecting taxes from other Jews to give to the Roman overlords who were over them. He, a Jew, collecting funds to keep the oppressors in the oppressing position. People did not like tax collectors. And here's what made it worse. It wasn't just that he went out and took taxes. He took taxes and then a whole lot more and was supported by some state-supported goons nearby. And so the tax collectors would charge an exorbitant amount of money. They would take far and above what the Romans were asking for, and then they would pocket the remainder, okay? The tax collectors were not liked at all. In literature of the era, tax collectors were on par with murderers and robbers. At that time, if you were a tax collector and a Jew, you were cast out of your family and you were cast out of the local synagogue. You had no place. So understand who Levi is when we get back to him. This is what tax collector meant. Now, character number three, character number three, we have this group called the scribes of the Pharisees. Now, this is what we know about the Pharisees. They were extremely concerned about everybody following God's law that was given to Moses. So their understanding of the law, and we've got a picture coming up, their understanding of the law is that if nobody broke into that box, if nobody broke the law, then that meant that they would be righteous, and if they were righteous, that God would send his Messiah to save them. So the Pharisees' main concern is make sure everybody obeys the law so that God will send his Messiah to save us. But they were so excited by making sure people didn't do that that they added extra laws around the outside. So they put up like a fence, if you will, of laws and said, we know you need to obey the middle ones, but what we're going to do is add some around the outside so that if those aren't broken, well, clearly you're not breaking the, the inner actual law. So, for example, Old Testament, uh, Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Okay? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. On the Sabbath, you're not to do work, rest. That's what the Old Testament says. Well, these leaders said, okay, well, we need to define what work is. So, If you are out with your donkey and the donkey falls into a ditch, you cannot get that donkey out until the next day because getting into the ditch to heft the donkey out is considered work. So don't do it. 
on the Sabbath. Okay, that's not what the Old Testament said. That is not what God had in mind. But the Pharisees said, as long as you don't do that, then that means you are honoring the Sabbath, you are honoring the law, and that means you're obeying God. Okay, so they are very, very concerned with everybody obeying the law. And the scribes of the Pharisees are essentially out as watchmen. Who's obeying? Who's not obeying? Who's obeying? I want to make sure we hold them to this. This is what they do, okay? So have that in mind. That's character number three, our last character. It's the group of tax collectors and sinners. Now, we already know the disdain. I've covered that for tax collectors. Why does it say tax collectors and sinners? This was actually a technical term from my research and reading this week. Tax collectors and sinners uh, was a special group of people that they knew, they being the Pharisees, just rejected them outright and said, you are unclean. You are a group of people that have neither time nor interest in actually following that inner law. You have no care. And because you have no care, we are just going to describe you as a sinner. You are an outcast. We want nothing to do with you because, well, because you're not, because you don't care, because you have no intent in actually following the law. If I'm ever around you, I'm going to be unclean because these people were constantly breaking the law. And so they were rejected. They were cast out. They were despised according to the high ruling class of the Jews, okay? So this is category number four. This is our fourth character. So, okay, now hold all of those things in mind. Let's jump to the story. Mark chapter two, verse 13. We'll start there. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Now I will pause to say, just like Russell said last week, it's good to ask, what is Jesus teaching? Mark doesn't be, seem to be too concerned to define what Jesus is teaching, but we already have a hint. What's Jesus teaching? He's already told us. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. So just kind of look at the page next to you there. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, three parts. The time is fulfilled. All the prophecies about this coming Messiah, they have taken their course. We have kind of now rounded the corner. There is something new. What's the new thing? Well, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is declaring to everybody the Messiah that you have hoped for, the one that you have wanted to come and save you from all of the oppressors. He's here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And because time has been fulfilled, because the kingdom of God is at hand, what do I need to do in response? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. Seeing what you are doing, I'll do it this way, seeing what you are doing and turning 180 degrees, walking away from it and towards God. Believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. What's the good news? That Jesus is God. That he has come to set you free. That he has come to reconcile all, all of humanity to himself and make all things new. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus is calling people to. So when it says he is teaching the crowd, this is what he is teaching. 
that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Okay, let's go to verse 14. And he passed by, Jesus passed by, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Okay, now imagine you were with that throng of people. You were really excited about Jesus because he just told you that he's the Messiah. And what's the Messiah supposed to do? He's going to come and take over. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to do his thing, and the Jews will be restored again. They love him. They are following him. And as they are following him, Jesus stops, and he talks to the local villain. Why is Jesus doing that? And Jesus looks at Levi, and he says, follow me. Now, when Jesus says to him, follow me, this is not like a walk this way in like a a Mel Brooks, Monty Python-esque sort of way. Walk this way. And then they awkwardly walk like them. No, this is not just walk like me. This is not follow me, be in near proximity to me. Jesus in his saying, follow me, is a call to Levi to repent and believe the, in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, you might be saying in your mind, Andrew, I can read. He said, follow me. He did not say, repent and believe in the gospel. How are you getting that from this? Well, I get it from his actions. Levi reacts in two very large ways. One, he literally stands up and walks away from his job. He walks away from his state-sponsored cash cow to follow Jesus. He has already, he literally repents. I am done with that. I'm giving up scamming people. And what's the second thing that we see? He throws a party. He throws a huge party. Join me. Verse 15. And has he reclined at table in his house? And that he is, that is Matthew, or Levi rather. As he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So Levi throws this massive, massive banquet, and he's surrounded by all of his friends and co-workers, most likely. Now remember, Levi's been kicked out of his family. He's been kicked out of his synagogue. This is his crew. These are the only people who will hang out with him. All of the people who are near and dear to him, what does he say to them? You've got to meet this guy. You have got to come and hear Jesus. He knows what Jesus is going to say to them. Repent and believe in the gospel. The fact that he has a party and brings all of his friends to it helps us know that Jesus' call to him was not just come and walk in close proximity to me. You don't throw a party because you get to walk behind somebody, okay? There is something that was more. Levi understands what was more. He understands that God has called him to be reconciled to the Father and that other people need to know. And he is so excited about Jesus that he wants to tell others about him. 
Now, let me take a sidestep note to say, this is normal. When we get excited about what Jesus has done in our hearts, in our lives, when we have experienced the hope of life, it's normal to want to talk to people about it. So I want to encourage you, be vocal. Talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors. Tell them about the hope that you have. You don't have to have all the answers. I would either, to that I would say, join the club. Um, I actually have a sign. I haven't put it up yet. It just says, I don't know. I put it up on my desk because it's a reminder to me. I don't know. I don't have all the answers, and you won't either. But what we do know is we know Jesus. Invite your neighbors and your friends to join you at Neartown. Invite your friends to come with you to Loop Group. Bring people to a space where other believers are going to love and encourage and point them to Jesus. This is what Levi has done. This is normal. Okay, let's jump back into the story. Verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Some manuscripts, you can see it there at the bottom. Why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why is Jesus in the presence of all of this? Now remember, the scribes of the Pharisees are making sure everybody follows the law. And what happens is they have a certain code. They have a certain guideline they expect of their religious leaders because their religious leaders only ate dinner with, only had parties with people who were righteous, who were reputable, who were clean. Because going into a party with somebody who is a tax collector and a sinner is going to make you unclean. So in their minds, they're saying, Jesus, what are you doing? You are knowingly going into a party and a place with people who will make you ceremonially unclean. But it gets worse (laughs) in their minds because being at table with anybody who is like this means at that time in the culture that you approve of them. So Jesus is sitting down at a table with people who by their society have been rejected for being too unclean, and Jesus sits at the table. That's like he's saying he approves of them. And they and their judgy McJudgerton minds are saying, you can't do that. That means you approve of them. You should be telling them how wrong they are. You're a teacher of the law. You should be pointing out what huge sinners they are. Jesus, what are you doing? Have you ever actually felt like that? When you've come to church, you've gone to a church, and as you walked in, the people didn't engage you as a person. They prejudged you about what they thought you were, who they thought you were, and they kept you at distance. Okay, imagine yourself in that situation, and Jesus walks in, and he walks right up to you and gives you a big, firm handshake, catches your name, gives you a big hug, so glad you are here, and gives you the love and acceptance that you have been wanting to find from people, and you haven't found it anywhere. 
that is what Jesus has already done at this party. He has come in and shown love and support of people who are made in the image of God. And out of that, he then speaks. Verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, that means these people were audibly calling other people name and put names and putting them down. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So this phrase is a common phrase at that time in that era. That was said by smart people, said by teachers. So Jesus is using a common phrase to start off his retort. Those who were teachers of the law, those who were the scribes of these Pharisees, heard what Jesus said and are already nodding their heads. Oh, yes, Jesus, I see where you are going. Only the sick people need doctors. I see your point. And they're already nodding their heads. And then he continues. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, in the book of Luke, where they're telling, he's telling this exact same story, Luke 5.32 adds some words. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus in one phrase, in one phrase, slays the room. He slays the room. To the scribes, in his statement to say, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, he says to them, so who are you? Which side are you on? Do you have it all together? Do you have everything figured out? Are you already whole, complete, healthy? Or in fact, are you on common ground with every single person in this room, these people that you have already rejected? But see, the thing is, he slayed the room. He didn't just nail these religious leaders, he nails everybody else too. Because what does he say? I have come to call sinners to repentance. Now, Luke's description, having it to repentance on the end, makes it a little bit more clear. But even in Mark's story, it's very obvious. Jesus is brought into that house. These people come to him. They are sitting at his feet, and Jesus is there at Levi's behest, and he is telling them the same thing that he has told Levi, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is in the room with those people, and in fact, he is not supporting their sin. He is not supporting their actions. He is calling them to change. He is calling them to find hope and to find life in him. He's called everybody to repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus comes to this room to the self-proclaimed righteous, and he calls them to repent and believe in him. They aren't righteous, and they need a savior. Jesus likewise comes to those who are expressly aware of their sin, and he calls them to repent and believe in him. They know they are in need of Jesus, and Jesus gives himself 
as their Savior. In Christ alone, we are made righteous. In Christ alone, we find the love, forgiveness, and acceptance that we have all been looking for. And Jesus comes to us. Just like the characters in this story, knowing that what he has to offer is better than anything that we have found yet, anything we have now, or anything that we are going to find in the future. Jesus comes to us and says, repent and believe in the gospel. Now note he says, repent. Remember, repent. 180 degrees. Turn and walk away. Jesus does not come to that room and say, I know you guys are really nasty, so what I want you to do is just confess and believe in the gospel. He doesn't call them to confess. He doesn't call them just to say, just say out loud that you know you're doing something wrong. No. That's a really nice start. But he calls them to repent, to turn away from and go Godward, to go at Jesus and find our satisfaction in him. Which sounds like the better option? Sitting, just like the scribes, in your self-proclaimed righteousness, spending all your energy convincing yourself and everyone around you that you've figured it out, that you've got it all together. Or coming in full realization that you need to be reconciled. You need to be made whole and find peace in Jesus what he says to the scribes. It's what he says to us who find ourselves feeling that we're pretty good. Which sounds like the better option? Sitting just like the tax collectors and sinners in your brokenness, spending all your energy convincing yourself and everybody around you that you're not all that bad. And frankly, there are people who are way worse, who say and do things that are way worse than you and that you're fine or coming in humility to a Savior who stands there with open arms and says, I love you. I want you to find wholeness and reconciliation with me. Jesus stands before all of us, everybody in this room, those who have come to faith in Christ and those who have not come to faith in Christ. And he says to us, Follow me. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so he asks us the same question. Will you follow? Will you repent and believe in me? Matt's going to come up He's going to transition to our time of communion. I just ask that you all bow your heads with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come to see you as you are, to not miss you, to not misunderstand you, Jesus, thank you for not 
just giving us a pass and allowing us to stay in the death of our sin and say we're fine. Thank you, Jesus, that you have called us to repentance. You've called us to change in you. Lord, let us not look anywhere else. Spirit, please move in the room. Allow us to be honest with you. Do we need to follow you for the first time? Do we need to heed your call to repent and believe in the gospel? And for those of us, Lord, who have come to you a long time ago and have been acting like we're fine, that we don't need you any longer, forgive us, Lord. Open our hearts and allow us to see that we still need to repent and believe in the gospel. Lord, let us see you more clearly and understand you, Jesus, as God more fully. Let us truly experience the peace that you have for us. In your name we pray, amen.